With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocket Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score, the postgame Georgia edition. I don't know what you expected. Missouri loses 49-14 against a team that is the top recruiting team for the past five years. Uh, they were just way better, and it was obvious, especially during the second half. Uh, Missouri rallied and kept the game for a full 30 minutes, which I thought was impressive. And then a thin team that had no depth completely collapsed in the second half. So that's where we're at. BK, how do you feel? Yeah, pretty much like you. Yeah. Um, I I thought this game was much less interesting for what the game was and much more interesting for what the game represented. Sure. Um, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. I think that's one thing that some Mizzou fans from my takeaways and just kind of reading some of the analysis as a whole, they viewed it as a little bit more pessimistic maybe than I meant for it to be. Mm. It's... Mizzou is far away from Georgia right now. Yes. That is objectively true. Mizzou doesn't have to be far away from Georgia three years from now. And I think that's what your hope is as a Mizzou fan is, hey, when Drinkwitz recruits and the team that he has right now, so the team that Drinkwitz inherited has recruited at basically a 45th ranked recruiting class or so on average over the last four years. Mm-hmm. The Drinkwitz recruiting class for next year is in the top 20. <laughs> So if you can have a top 20 talented team, that should be a top 20 team in the country. Right now, Drinkwitz is basically taking the 45th best team in terms of talent and making it into like the 35th to 40th best team, which is what you can ask him to do. You can't ask for much more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you go up against the team that quite literally, as you said, has been the best recruiting team, there is not a single team in the country more talented by the recruiting metrics right now than Georgia. So when you go up against that team as the 45th ranked team in talent, which is what recruiting rankings are, it's talent over the last four years, well, yeah, it's going to be really, really difficult to overcome that kind of a gap. And it's been that that way all year, really. Mizzou's 4-0 with a 60, plus 60-point 60 differential against Kentucky, South Carolina, Vandy, and Arkansas. Yep. They're 1-3 with a minus 101-point differential against <laughs> Alabama, Tennessee, LSU, and Georgia. Mm-hmm. Basically, when Missouri is similar, compatible, comparable in talent, they win. Drinkwitz finds a way schematically uh, with all of the different advantages that he's able to bring to help that team find a way to victory when they have significantly less talent, which was the case against Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia in particular and LSU to a lesser degree because of what's going on with them this year, Mm -hmm. they lose. And that's the way that it should be in college football. And frankly, the way that it normally is in college football. So the hope is Drinkwitz's recruiting makes this not the case moving forward, that it's not this big of a gap between the two, but today it was, and this is the result. Yeah. I think one of the issues, and, and and this, I had a little bit of this as well, and maybe this is part of what the fan base is thinking. We've seen Georgia play 
80% of their games with either Dewan Mathis or Stetson Bennett the fourth, which are Division One caliber athletes playing quarterback, but could not hit their receivers at all. And that's what we saw. We saw Georgia that relied on the ground game, and if they had to pass, they completely fell apart. End of story. That's not what this is. <laughs> with This is not what the, the Georgia offense is at this point. JT Daniels is a five-star quarterback coming out of high school. He was recruited by USC. He started at USC as a freshman. As a freshman. Now, you can argue however, you know, good you think that team was but the point is a five-star talent starting at usc means he's really good and he has all the skills all the passing skills for the type of offense that todd munkin wants to run and stetson bennett the fourth did not have those skills dewan mathis did not have those skills jt daniels does and they have that guy now and they have the athletes around him to make all the plays that they need to do they have the lines to make the impact that they need to make and that's it. You're just not you, – you can't touch this Georgia team. And I know it, they, they looked bad, but that's not what they are right now. So it's just – this was this was not going to be close. The fact that they kept it close for 30 minutes was absolutely beautiful and breathtaking. <laughs> and, and it's just there's no way they're going to make it to the second half with a gassed, thin uh, roster that they currently have. And also totally unsustainable. Like, let's think about the way that Missouri scored, right? Yep. One was via punt block. The other was via a double pass. Like, when that's what it takes for you to score points, you should probably have a pretty good idea that that's pr- that what you did to score those points is not sustainable for the second half. So unless something else is able to start pushing forward a little bit, you get a little bit more production from somewhere else, you're not going to be able to continue to win the way that they were in the first half. So you knew that wasn't going to work, and nothing else did start working. The running game was abysmal, which is always the case for anybody this year going up against Georgia. Um, nobody <laughs> runs against them. You just can't do it. It's it's a fatalistic uh, decision to do. Like it, Anytime you run the ball, it's a minus EV play. Like It, it is worse for you. You, you lost um, – a potential winning percentage, whatever it was, by running that play. Yeah. Um, the passing game, they never were really able to get anything vertically outside of, I think there was at least one play over the top to Damon Hazleton down the sideline that I remember. Other than that, there was nothing down the field. Um, it just, they, they were never able to get that going in the passing game. Probably one of Connor Basilek's worst games, uh, which is to be expected. Mm-hmm. Again, playing Georgia, really talented. And, the defense didn't look great. So when you add all of those things up and you've got a decimated defense by injury, by opt-outs, by everything that we've talked so much about, this is the result. You didn't have Kobe Whiteside. You didn't have Trey Williams. You didn't have Jarvis Ware. So when it comes to stopping the pass, two core elements, rushing the passer, covering the receiver, were, were down their starter, one of their starters. Okay, So you had a defensive line, five guys to play four, and then a slew of freshmen in the secondary. Georgia came out and just ran the ball. And I thought, yep, that's what they're going to do. They're just going to run it, you know, six, seven times per possession. They're going to score every single time. Boom, done. Ryan Walters countered. He started moving uh, Martez Manuel, who had a hell of a game, maybe the only Tiger who had a hell of a game. <laughs> started moving Martez Manuel down into the box, kind of more as an outside uh, rusher off the edge. They put the safeties back in the middle and they had the corners play about 10 yards off in man coverage. And they said, okay, nothing's beating us deep, and we're going to basically get up in the grill of JT Daniels so that he has to make a quick read, and hopefully the young corners can break on it. And for one quarter and one corner, (laughs) they were stopping the run with this scheme and forcing some bad passes. And it worked for the second quarter. But when you show something to a team like Georgia – when you show your first hand, which was just straight man, no rushing, you, you know you can run as much as you want, you counter. Then they react to your counter. And what they did is they started going deep. And they were you know pushing on those young corners. And when they started beating them deep and they started playing up, then they started beating them on slants. And so you show something to a talented team like Georgia, you have to counter again. You can't just have one counter in your, in your pocket. You got to have multiples. And with the, with the personnel that, that they had, and just the talent deficit that they're operating at, there's no other way for them to make another adjustment. And it didn't matter at that point. 
So Georgia's really freaking good. George Pickens, kind of kind of a little a jerk, but he played well enough to be a jerk. <laughs> That's fine. Um, he tore us up, and that was it. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of criticism after this game for Ryan Walters. And listen, like overall this season, I think there's plenty of criticism to be leveled at Ryan Walters. And we can have that conversation at a later date. But for this game in particular, this is just not this is not the one that I would point to if I'm a Mizzou fan that's frustrated with the job that no. he's done. I mean, there there was one point when Drake Heismeyer, a freshman center, <laughs> was playing on the defensive line. Yep. Because they just, they ran out of bodies. At a certain point, there's only so many guys that you can play for so many snaps that you're comfortable with. And they probably aren't comfortable with Drake Heismeyer playing on that side of the ball, but they had to because they didn't have any other options. And I think that's kind of to your point of what Mizzou was trying to accomplish defensively. I mean, they eventually just were like, throw the house at them. (laughs) You know, they they, they were going cover zero like every time there was a third down. Mm Mm-hmm. And what that means is basically if you're going on Madden and you're playing your buddy and you're going engage eight, that play that you have defensively, (laughs) that's what they're doing every time it's third down, especially third and long, because it was their best opportunity. They knew they weren't going to cover whether they had one-on-one or they were playing zone. It didn't matter. They weren't able to cover those receivers defensively, no matter what they were doing. So their best opportunity to be able to have any success was just blitz the hell out of JT Daniels and hopefully come up with some sort of a big play, whether that be a sack, uh, pass deflection, an errant throw. And it worked for a while. Mm-hmm. It did. The first half, it looked pretty good. And eventually they made adjustments. They were able to block it a little better up front. JT Daniels had some success, and boom, now they're beating him over the top. And now George Pickens is celebrating all over you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it, it. Sometimes football is a simple game, and in the third quarter in particular, it was very simple for Georgia. When they ran for 152 yards, threw for 132, and averaged more than 12 yards per play. Yeah. I mean, with, with Mathis and Bennett – Georgia as a team was averaging about 22 points per game and roughly three to 400 yards. JT Daniels, they're averaging 49 points per game and over 600 yards. So Missouri's defense had to go just crank it to the most aggressive that you can possibly get because you can't play it safe against an offense that is that, that much more talented than you. And I know you were going over the recruiting stuff uh, in your piece, but like, Georgia gets four and five stars, and then they play those four and five star guys. Now, that doesn't mean that they're always going to be good. It's just averages, right? It's it's on average, a blue chip recruit is going to be a lot better than a two or three star recruit, and that's what Georgia's rolling out, blue chip guys. Missouri's rolling out Nate, two I and three star guys. What you just said is a really important point, and it's something that I think it's criticized a lot by Mizzou fans because they'll point to, yeah, but – Mizzou, some of their best players were two stars. You know, if you look at the Gary Pinkle era, like, give, give me Denario Alexander. I'll take Michael Sam mm-hmm. and Charles Harris. Like, those guys were... Yes, that's absolutely the case. On an individual basis, your recruiting ranking might not matter. It really might not. On average, though, it does. Over the long haul, more four and five stars are going to be quality college football players and eventually... NFL players than two and three stars percentage wise I did the research a few years ago it has been done before but it is like it's negligible the number of two stars that eventually go on to be in the NFL that doesn't mean that it can't happen it absolutely can we've seen it firsthand at Mizzou some of their best players have been two and three stars but over the long haul there are a significantly higher percentage of those four and five star guys that go on to be super successful college and NFL players. So basically what this is, is you're playing blackjack, you're playing the odds and you play by the book. And eventually by playing by the book, you are going to have more success. If you're playing blackjack and you decide to hit on 20, well, that makes no sense. (laughs) And uh, you're, you're not playing the odds. And eventually like you might Get an ace, and you hit the blackjack, and you get all of the money that first time. Maybe you do it three times in a row, and you're running hot, and you're able to get three consecutive aces when you're hitting on 20. But eventually, 
more often than not, you're going to get a four, you're going to get a six, a seven, you're going to break, you're going to bust. Mm-hmm. And now you're out of all of your money, right? That's what recruiting is. Recruiting is playing the odds and hoping that you can give yourself the best chance possible to get the most roster talent that you can possibly have. And that's why you should be really excited about what Mizzou's doing right now in the recruiting ranks, because they're getting some more of these guys that are likelier to be really significant players for them, both for the near future and for the long Yeah. I mean, there are, there are more two- and three-star guys in the NFL than four and five. But that's because in any given year, there's like 25 to 35 stars. And there are literally thousands of three-stars, two- and three-star kids. Like, that's that's just how it is. So, yeah, I think, I think your analogy with Blackjack is completely spot on. You're playing the odds. And Georgia gets to play the odds a lot because they – they get the four and five star guys, so they more likely, more often than not, they are just way more talented, and that's how it is. We saw that with I Tennessee. Loved, I looked into this because I was curious because we had a lot of the time in the second half while I was writing this piece yeah. to, <laughs> to be able to uh, to start looking up some stuff, right? So Georgia, over the last four years, Nate has twenty eight players on the offensive or defensive line. That was ranked at least a four-star player whenever they committed. Mm -hmm. 28 players, O-line, D-line, at least four stars. Mm -hmm. Mizzou has one. (laughs) One. It is Daniel Parker Jr., Mm -hmm. and he no longer plays offensive or defensive line. He was committed as a defensive end. He got some uh, brief time on the offensive line, and now he's a tight end. So of the players that are currently playing offensive or defensive line for Mizzou that committed to Mizzou as a college or juco or a high school player zero of them were four or five star recruits whenever they committed to mizzou so when you look at the difference between the two teams especially i thought it was most obvious up front on both sides of the ball Mm -hmm. today that's where it's coming from 28 on one side zero basically on the other that's that's where the talent gap's coming from yep yep and you know it's it's college sports, so anything can happen, and it's the year of COVID, so really anything can happen, but not today. You know, game game hell for, for 30 minutes. Uh, they reacted, they adapted, and we just Missouri ran out of gas. That's okay. Um, uh, there's really not much you can take away from this, I, and I know that we've said that a lot, or I have anyway, against the South Carolina game, for the Vanderbilt game, all for differing reasons. Obviously, South Carolina, but just a, a team of half rosters slapping each other. Vanderbilt was completely overmatched. Well, we got to play Vanderbilt today. <laughs> play the role of Vanderbilt uh, against uh, Georgia. So it, it's okay. It's okay. I know it's it's frustrating to lose. And I know Drinkwood sounded very frustrated as well, especially when he just said, look, it's it's a talent gap. He said it in his postgame presser too. Like, I respect it. I appreciate that he was so honest afterwards. Yeah, I do too. And it, it's not a knock against his guys. I hope they don't take it that way. But you, you got to know where you're coming from, right? Like, it's, it's no secret that Georgia is, is it a, just a, a talent-rich team, just like in Alabama or like a Clemson or Ohio State. It's not a knock on his guys. There, there is a talent gap. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to close that gap. He's currently trying to coach these guys, develop these guys to close that gap right now, and then bring in more talented guys to back them up, get them better, get them in the program so that it's – the talent gap is negligible, or at least just a little bit smaller. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he was hired to do. So it's not a knock on the players or the program or anything like that. It's a work in progress. And I think this is a good reminder after, you know, you get you beat South Carolina, you beat Vanderbilt, you beat Arkansas, and you're going, all right, we're on a roll. Yeah, you are when you play peers or teams that are less quality than you. When you go up against the Blue Bloods, this is something that happens. And that's okay because – We've still won five games. We still have a sixth win on the plate and a bowl game possibly. The recruiting is still going well off the field. A loss sucks, but guess what? Georgia's beaten a lot of teams. They lost to Alabama and they lost to Florida, and that's it. So they are a very good team. There's no shame in losing to this team now. It's all just taking your lumps, learning, and and moving on to the next year and keeping that recruiting momentum going. And the other thing is, like, Drinkwitz has already done what – Barry Odom got fired for. <laughs> Barry Odom didn't get fired because he could never beat Alabama, Florida, or Georgia. Yeah. Barry Odom got fired because too often he was losing to Kentucky mm-hmm. and Vanderbilt and South Carolina. Like the, Those were the games that Barry Odom got fired for, and Drinkwitz already won those games this year. So it, he, it, it absolutely has to continue. Like 
you need to be on an upward trajectory, right? If the best that Drinkwitz does is, it, let's say they win next week and go six and four, and you're four years from now, and this was the uh, beacon of hope, and it never really amounted to anything, okay, well, then there's going to be a bigger conversation to be had at that point. Mm-hmm. He needs to develop the players that are coming from within right now. He needs to continue recruiting at this top 25-ish level, and then hopefully he makes good on all of this hope. <laughs> yeah. But for the time being, like... We've already seen what the foundation is for an Eli Drinkwitz coached team. When they're going up against somebody that is of a comparable talent level, they can win more often than not. Most of the time they win those games. And when they go up against a team that is significantly more talented than them, they tend to lose. The hope is that that talent gap uh, gets a little bit more narrow and you give yourself a better chance against teams, especially like Tennessee. Like That's the game that I hope two years from now looks a lot better than it did this year um, because the, the talent gap shouldn't be as wide at that point, you know? Yeah. So th- those are the types of games really that I think we're going to be focusing on. But, I mean, going up against Bama, going up against this version of Florida and this version of Georgia, that's always going to be a tough task. But ho- hopefully moving forward, the Tennessees of the world, Mizzou's able to make a little bit more hay there. But otherwise, Drinkwitz has basically done what we asked of him in, in year one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... <laughs> I don't want to get too well I don't even know what the term would be but myopic but if you're thinking of it from a from a normal season a normal football season you've got your eight games in the SEC and you got your four non-conference games okay you expect I think maybe the moderate to more partisan Missouri fans are going to think okay you got to win all your non-cons right Schedule some easy guys. Schedule an FCS. Schedule a a, uh, a rollover G5 team. Schedule some P5 team who's you know sucked for the past twenty years, and then you know maybe a good G5, something like that. Well, look look at last look at next year, right? Like they've already got these games scheduled because so we can kind of put put go. a fine point on it. Central Michigan, SEMO, North Texas, and Boston College. Those are your non. There you go. Next year. Boston College has sucked for as long as you can think of it, right? Probably twelve years at this point. They got a good coach, but. They're not good. SEMO is SEMO. That's your FCS. North Texas was a good G5 team. It's kind of trending on the way down. And then Central Michigan uh, was good last year. I have no read on them this year. I've not been paying attention to the MAC. But that's a team who historically has been just okay, even for MAC standards. Okay, So you want, you want to schedule winnable games when you are Missouri in the SEC. You don't want to be scheduling uh, Louisville or Nebraska, even though they are good. You don't want to be scheduling uh, Arizona State. You don't want to be scheduling Oklahoma State. You Get that junk out of here. you got to get some winnable non-conference games, and then you got to beat your peers. Who are your peers? Well, certainly South Carolina, Kentucky, uh, Arkansas in your cross division. And then if you get like a Mississippi State, that's probably a peer program as well, maybe Ole Miss, depending on the year. But basically the point is, if you can beat your non-cons – that's four wins. If you beat your peers, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Arkansas, that's three wins. That's seven wins every year. You're bowling every single year. I'm not, I don't want to sell the program short, but if Eli Drinkwitz wins seven to eight games every single year, he can, he can work here for the rest of his life. Simple yeah. as that. It's what we used to say about Gary Pinkle, right? His floor was like six or seven wins in a really bad year. The ceiling was 10 or 11 wins in a really good year, and you hope that you've got a shot in a once-every-10-year period where you actually have some a chance to do something really special. That's what the expectation—we talked about this over the summer. That's what the hope is as a Mizzou fan. Mm-hmm. And so, like, in the SEC East, you mentioned— the peer programs, Vandy, Kentucky. I think you can put South Carolina in that. And right now with where they are, I, I don't think Tennessee is a significantly better program. Well, they recruit a lot better than Missouri. but Sh- Absolutely. Um, and they should be a lot better than Missouri based on that. Yeah. But I think you can, like for the time being, kind of put them in that peer-ish program. Mm-hmm. But the, they, ha- they have the potential to, at any point, get into that Florida-Georgia type of a category. Yeah. Um, if you can beat three of those four in any given year, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Vandy, you're up to seven wins already. Like yep. that, that, and that's your base. Yes. Before you're even looking at what you're doing in the cross-divisional rivalry, right, with Arkansas. Beat them, boom, now you're up to eight. And suddenly if you win your other cross-divisional, if you get Mississippi State in any given year, 
now you're you're really kind of talking about okay, you pull off one upset and you've got a shot to win the East. Mm-hmm. That's that is the formula yep. at Missouri. That's that's the way you do it. That is the way that in 2014 in particular, the Tigers were able to find a way to win this godforsaken division. So it's not. <laughs> it, it feels right now like it's really far away, but it's really not that far away in terms of being that third-ish best program in the SEC East. I mean, t- this year, they're going to finish third in the SEC East. So um, they're not that far away. And with the way that Eli Drinkwitz is recruiting, he's finding the base of what it needs to be moving forward. And like, I, I always, I'm always curious about fan expectations. And obviously, I can't go door to door and ask every single one and log it or whatever. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to. Um, but like, I feel like people... S- some portions of the fan base walk into every year expecting to beat Kentucky, expecting to beat South Carolina and Vanderbilt. And that doesn't happen all that often because they are peer programs. They're recruiting at a similar level. They're financed on a similar level. They have a similar history. Those aren't gimme games. Those are coin flip games. I know you and I have talked about that before, that if it lands on heads, then you got a pretty good year, especially if it lands on heads for all three. That's not a guarantee. You got it. Those are tough wins. Those are tough games you can't bank on them but if they all come up you know smelling roses now you're having a good season it's the florida georgia wins if you pull up an upset it's a special season and then whatever your west division draw is like that's how 13 and 14 did it like you said it's not an expectation you shouldn't just be counting on a win over kentucky or tennessee or south carolina like those are those are the tough ones if you schedule your non-cons right make it you know tough but winnable uh and then get lucky against your your peers, that's a special season. And I think, you know, especially if he's closing the recruiting gap, we can have more special seasons than not with Drinkwitz. And that's the excitement. Seven to eight wins as a, seal, as a floor, that's very, very exciting, man. Hell yeah, dude. At a program like this, like that's – when you make a hire like Eli Drinkwitz, the concern is that the floor is going to drop out, right? Right. Like the, the concern is I, I play a lot of fantasy football. And so for anybody in our audience that, that plays, you know there's like – high high ceiling low floor plays that you can have on any given week where it's like they could have a 70 yard touchdown and you're gonna feel really good about playing them in your lineup or they might finish the game with like two targets and 10 yards and you got nothing from them and you lose (laughs) you just you lose that week um that's what a higher like eli drinkwitz is you are truly swinging for the fences you are that batter that is the three true outcomes in baseball where you're either gonna walk strike out or hit a homer that's Eli Drinkwitz um, whenever you hired him. And it feels right now, we'll see, there's a lot of time that still needs to remain, right? It feels right now that like they kind of hit the homer. And the, the reason why it is that is because he has increased the floor. The floor being higher is what the concern was. And right now it feels like he's kind of maintained that from what it was previously with Gary Pinkle. Mm-hmm. And if you can have that paired with a really high ceiling, okay, that that's where you feel good as a Mizzou fan. And that's where the excitement comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just noticed something very, very odd. And I'm going to share it with you. It's got basically very little to do with what we're talking about, but I still find it interesting. Okay. So since 2013... If Missouri has beaten Florida, they've also beaten Tennessee. But if they've lost to Florida, they have also lost to Tennessee. And it's all I've told you before that we beat Florida in twos. The record goes two and two. Like Mizzou wins two, Florida wins two. Mizzou wins two, Florida wins two. Florida just won their second, so we're due for our win in 2021, right? <laughs> Same for Tennessee. 13-14, we beat Florida, Tennessee. 15-16, we lost to Florida, Tennessee. 17-18, we beat Florida and Tennessee. 19-20, and 20, we bo- lost to both of them. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this. Like, if I'm curious, I, I know this has kind of turned into a big picture podcast. Like the it has. Big, That's because we lost game. by 35. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, um, the, there is, I, I got to my fifth takeaway from this game that I was writing. Go check it out. RockMNation.com is where you find the, the post for the five takeaways after this game. I got to the fifth takeaway, and I was like, I got nothing. I got, I got, like, I, I have zero big-picture notes from that game. I just had to go into quick hitters. Like, yeah. there, there was really very little in terms of that game that you can dive into other than what we've already talked about, which is the talent gap, right? Yeah. So let, let's go a little more big-picture and kind of move forward and look ahead. Are you buying or selling right now on Tennessee's future? Uh, if they keep Pruitt, selling. I think they're going to. Do you? 
There's so many I don't many think they're making that though. move right now. Dude, like, I don't Are know. There? I have no idea what they want to do. I know Phil Fulmer is trying to create Wisconsin Southeast Conference where he's technically the coach and calling the shots. It's just some guy that he puppets. Uh, I don't know if Pruitt wants to be that. I don't know if he's willing to play ball with Fulmer. If he's not, then he's gone. But for the way they recruit and the expectations that they always have because they're SEC Nebraska and the results they're getting, I know the natives are restless. So I'm sure the boosters are clamoring to get rid of them. But I don't know if they're actually going to pull the trigger. I haven't heard anything along those lines. So let's go under two scenarios. Let's kind of do a choose-your-own-adventure here, right? If if they keep him, you're selling on their future right now? For, for next year, their yeah. immediate future. Yep. If they if they fire him and hire what would be a, a reasonable candidate, not, a, not like a home run hire, but they go out there and they hire somebody that you think is pretty good, but maybe not perfect, right? Are you significantly changing your opinion of what they'll be next year? Not significantly, but I'd feel more confident in the direction they're going long term. Absolutely. I'm talking about for next year, though. Like, I I don't think that Mizzou should be a pushover compared to Tennessee next year, ah, whatever they play. Okay, yeah. So th- that's that's kind of what I'm getting at here is, like, I think if Mizzou played Tennessee next week, I don't know for sure that they would lose that game. Um, I thought going into the game that they played on October 3rd, it was a fait accompli. They were definitely <laughs> going to lose that game because Tennessee was just better. Yeah. I don't know that they're significantly better now than Missouri is. They're talented. They are more talented than Missouri is right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they're significantly better than Mizzou. I'd probably still tick, pick Tennessee, but I think I would pick them pretty close, not 35-12 to 12 like it was earlier this year. Yeah. yeah. I would expect something in that realm. Like, I, I think moving forward into next season, I think it's going to be a pretty close game whenever those two teams play. So, as much as I see the talent gap between those two, really it's just Florida and Georgia that I think there's a significant gap talent-wise and coaching-wise and just, like, full program compared mm-hmm. to where Missouri is now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I mean... I don't, Florida is not recruiting as well as Georgia, but nobody is. So Florida is, is scheme plus talent. Georgia is talent, talent, talent. Um, so, yeah, I think for the foreseeable future, it's always going to be Florida or Georgia. What Missouri's hoping for in a, in a given year is that someone upsets Georgia. And, and, you know, Florida beats Georgia and then Florida gets upset and then Missouri gets a win in there too. So, like, that's what you're kind of hoping for. I, I, I do see your point. I think Missouri should be considered – a peer program to Tennessee, especially if they keep recruiting, if drink and keep recruiting the top 20, mm-hmm. then for sure. Uh, if they keep Pruitt around, I feel pretty good about the lack <laughs> of development for that program. Um, and then Vanderbilt's going to do whatever Vanderbilt does, possibly hire Jeff Monk and be a triple option team. That'll be a nightmare, but we're not talking about that. Um, so really, yeah, you're thinking, okay, in your division, you got to hope for, you know, Stoops is still around Kentucky, South Carolina, and, you know, Beamer, junior is going to do whatever they're going to do but like get them early and then you get tennessee at home next year vanderbilt in with a new coach so you could are you talking yourself into a 4-0 division record with the florida georgia games kind of up in the air um i'm saying that i think there's upside there next year as early as next year yeah um i don't know that for sure i would pick mizzou because there, there's a lot of holes on this team going into next season right like you you one of the things from this game that I wrote about in the article is just linebacker is going to be a serious issue yeah. for them a year from now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know how they fix that. They are going to have to find some semblance of a running game that is consistent. Uh, I love Tyler Beatty, but so far this year, and maybe this is just the presence of Larry Roundtree, but they, they haven't trusted him to be that guy. So there, there's just questions there, kind of like there were questions this year at quarterback. They could be they can go in the positive direction the way that it has this year with quarterback where you find the answer with Connor Bazelak and you feel really good about it. But there there are questions that they still have to answer moving forward. Um, so I don't know for sure that I would pick them there, but I feel pretty good about the possibility. I think they're two years away from hopefully, hopefully reaching kind of like a ceiling-ish year. 
You know, because at that point, the recruiting class for this upcoming season, the 2021 class that is currently ranked 19th in the country, and we haven't talked about them since, but they got a big-time mm-hmm. flip uh, from a four-star recruit out of East St. Louis, a wide receiver that hopefully can come in and play pretty quickly. Um, th- I, oh, wow, they've moved down to 20, actually. Um, <laughs> <Oops>. <laughs> that, that happened quick. Yeah. Um, so, like, this class, two years from now, will hopefully be part of what is close to reaching kind of one of those peak years. And I think three years from now, really, you start feeling good about it, as long as he can continue doing this. But that that's kind of the timeline that I would think. I mean, I think every head coach in every interview is offering a three-year a three year plan, Even whether that's, you know, North Carolina State, Missouri, <laughs> Vanderbilt, uh, you know, Texas Tech, uh, what other job? Arizona, like any coaches coming in is like, all right, look, here's here's my three year plan on getting this program back on track. That's pretty reasonable. If you have a if you have a reasonable athletic director who can kind of keep the boosters at bay for a little bit, you should be able to do that. And it basically goes, you know, you start off depending on how bad you are, you start off losing big, and then you start losing close, and then you start winning close. And if those close wins line up enough, you can have kind of a breakthrough season in season three slash building into to year four when now you're now you got your guys you got your scheme you got everything established now you're rocking and rolling and you're getting bigger wins and you're still winning close and yeah maybe you lose a few games but that's kind of the trajectory that you're thinking of when Eli Drinkwitz was hired and COVID hit I took it I took it even with an extra extra year tagged on like oh my god we're only playing an SEC schedule. <laughs> you can't salvage a recruiting class. There's there's restrictions based off of the tutor stuff. Like we, it's gonna be a mess, and and I don't even know what to do. So yeah, tag another year. He's automatically got four years from me, possibly five. Now he has done well, given all of the circumstances. We've talked about this. He's done incredibly well. Five wins guaranteed, possibly six. Oh my God, this is tremendous. He's still on that same plan for me. And part of that. Oh, really? Part of that. See, I was thinking when you were saying it, and I'll let you finish there. I apologize for cutting in here, but as you were talking, I was like, "Oh, Drinkwitz is in year three because <laughs> he's he's already winning. <laughs> he's winning close. close." But see, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. He's winning close with yep. with older guys. He's three and zero in one possession games. That doesn't last. Like you get a couple of coaches who can do that. Bill Snyder was one. Ken Ken Niamatololo at Navy is the other where you just constantly win close games, that's by design. I'm not sure if that's Drinkwitz's MO here. I'm not sure if he's always going to be you know, undefeated in, in close games. And yeah, no duh. He did it last year, too, at, our, at, uh, at Appalachian State. State, for what it's worth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so like the close game's luck can turn, and that's it's based off a of quarterback play, it's based on, on, on your kicker, and it's based on your turnovers. tactics. Yeah, turnovers and tactics, right? Like – you got to be good in all three. Now we got a pretty good quarterback. We got a pretty good kicker, but close game magic does not always guaranteed thing. We're not totally sure where Drink is on that, and that might run out. So I'm still going to put him on a on a three to four year plan as as far as expectations go. But if he turns around 2021 and does you know rattles off six seven wins again with his new baby team, I'm going to feel like okay, yeah, you can you can show me a little bit more next year. <laughs> but I do think. Uh, twenty, what twenty two would be where you're looking for, kind of your initial breakout. Um, let's look at the twenty twenty two schedule, shall we? I'm really curious who they're playing because really it all comes down to, uh, their non con to figure out how this is going to break down. And so I've got your non con for you. You ready? I'm ready. You are at Middle Tennessee. Uh, why? why? <laughs> That's not going to last. At K State. Yuck. Abilene Christian okay. and New Mexico State. Oh, good. Yeah. Aggies are maybe the worst team in the, in the world. You want to hear 2023? Ugh, yeah, let me hear it. South Dakota at home. Okay. Middle Tennessee at home. Yeah. K-State at home. Yeah. At Memphis. Oh, that's a Barry Odom favor from the Pinkley years if I ever heard of oh. That sucks. Yeah, that that's brutal. That's brutal. I wonder they're going to reschedule. That they're going to the reschedule that. There's no way he's cool with that, and they got plenty of runway. Yeah. Um, 2024 is the year, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, but okay. Let's do let's do 2022. Okay. Okay. So got, yeah. At middle, which I feel like that's going to change, but okay. At K State, that sucks. Adeline Christian at home, New Mexico State. 
with what we are projecting, right? So possibly Tyler Macon's second year as a starter. I don't know. <laughs> um, Taj Butts will be in the, in the program for a year. Uh, Dominic Lovett will be in the program for a couple of years. Um, we're, we're projecting a lot of things there, but you got, you know, Kyron Montgomery, Travian Ford, uh, hopefully a linebacker shows up. Martez Manuel, Jelani Williams, Taryn Shop, you know, Rake Straw is going to be an upperclassman. Okay. I say you win at middle because they're probably going to be transitioning out of the coach pretty soon. K-State is trappy, trappy, trappy. So let's say three and one. All right, let's be conservative and say three and one in your non-con. Here's your SEC slate. At Auburn, at Florida, (laughs) Arkansas should be, maybe it's in Kansas City, who knows, Georgia, Kentucky, Vandy, all of those are at home, and then at South Carolina, at Tennessee. Uh, Auburn, Florida, uh, to, you know, those are, those are going to be really, really tough. And obviously Georgia at home is never fun, but like, is that the breakout year that you're thinking? Potentially, um, that that's tough. <laughs> the, the at Auburn at Florida, mm-hmm. that, that that's brutal, but this is, this is how it goes, right? Like who's going to be the coach at Auburn in 2022? Uh, Who- Jamie Chadwell. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, Who's going to be the coach at Florida in 2022? I think it's going to be Dan Mullen, but is Dan Mullen going to be there for the long term? Is he? Oh, he'll be coaching the Jets at that point, right? (laughs) Exactly. Like I just I don't know what that's going to be. Um, South Carolina is going to look like a completely different program at that point, for better or worse. Vanderbilt will be. I don't know who's going to be coaching Tennessee at that point. There's just so much uncertainty. This is college football, right? It's so hard to project forward. Um, but let, like, if we're just assuming natural progression, natural regression from where they are right now, uh, that it's a tough schedule, but this is what it's going to take in the SEC in any given year. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's going to be hard to be able to win these cross divisional matchups in any given season. And it's going to be difficult to go 10 and two, nine and three. Yep. Can Missouri go nine and three though? If everything goes their way and these recruiting trends continue in this direction with that schedule, yeah, they they can go nine and three that year if if things head in the right direction. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of assumptions, <laughs> but if they do, then yeah, they could go nine and three in that year. That that's probably the season that you're hoping that things kind of hit the crescendo. Yeah, who knows if even New Mexico State's a team at that point? I think they're looking to disband football <laughs> possibly. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of things that can change. Uh, and I know Abilene Christian's been a uh, FCS playoff team for the past couple of years, so that's not. That's not a cakewalk either, but um, yeah, it's, you know, you're looking for landing spots and I don't know if it's 22 or 23 or hell, maybe it's next year. Who knows? But like, these are just things that you're looking at and you're never sure how it's going to go. But when you're, when you're pitching plans in in the interview um, to your athletic director, that's kind of what you're looking at. Your, your recruiting blueprint scheme that you want to put in your install, your building. And like, is this a vision that you can pitch? Is this a vision you can sell? Is that something that the athletic director is willing to be patient with and and work with and defend uh, and confidently back up when the, (laughs) when the boosters start calling for your head? Like that's, that's the whole thing. And if that's what drink pitched, then yeah, that's what we're going to be looking at. But uh, you know, if he wants to break through early or you know anything like that, I'm cool with it. It's just it's so yeah, tough to let's tell. Do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's just impossible to tell. Like you said, like we we came in thinking two wins this year, and we're at we're at five. Yeah. You know, next year we might be thinking, oh yeah, eight wins, and we get six. Like it never goes the way you want, but that's part of the fun, right? Yeah, that's why we love this stuff. And it's because of the stories. It's because guys like Connor Bazelek tear their ACL in the final game of the year last year and then suddenly become one of the best stories of the team and one of the um, calming factors of the team in 2020. He didn't play well today. No. But Connor Bazelek is one of the reasons, one of the main reasons, in fact, why Missouri has five wins right now, you know? And so if, if he hadn't, let, if Connor Bazelik wasn't recovered from the torn ACL, like that, let's go under that assumption because I think he was always going to be pretty good. I think this was he had a good pedigree coming in. So mm-hmm. if he, let's say, he wasn't recovered from the ACL and they decided to go with Sean Robinson as their quarterback mm-hmm. this year, I don't think they're five and four right no. now. No, no. I I don't know that they win that Arkansas game. I'm not sure that they win the South Carolina game. I don't know if they win. I don't think they win the LSU game. So. 
I, I think you are kind of looking at a two, maybe three win season this year mm-hmm. if Sean Robinson's your quarterback. Yeah. You switch that up, you get one thing that went in your right direction, and it's at the most important position in the sport, <laughs> and suddenly you're five and four with potential win six games, and everything's kind of looking hunky dory, right? Yeah. That's what you need moving forward. You need more of those answers in the right direction for Eli Drinkwitz. You need somebody to emerge at defensive end next year out of that loaded class that they're taking on. You need one of these receivers to hit immediately the way that Ennis Rakestraw has this year. He's had his ups and downs, but as a freshman, this is all you could possibly ask for out of him. Mm -hmm. It's worked. Um, You need that from a freshman receiver next year. You need him to land another transfer or two that makes an immediate impact the way that Kiki Chisholm has this season and a lot of these wins. Those are the things that have to go in their direction for them to be able to go at a faster timeline than would otherwise be expected. That's how this works, man. That's how college football goes. And hopefully Eli Drinkwitz continues to be able to flip a coin and pick in the right direction moving forward. Yeah. So coming into this season, I know I talked about it a lot. BK has shared the, the viewpoint of, you know, this season, doesn't matter. And I know that was a little bit of a nihilistic viewpoint occasionally, but I modify it a little bit. The wins count and the losses don't really count. And I want to make sure that we keep that in mind. Losing to Georgia in 2020 does not matter. It counts in the win-loss column. It counts against Drinkwitz, bonuses and all that stuff, yes. But eh, it doesn't really. You don't need to waste any kind of brain power thinking about it beyond what you just saw. It, was, it wasn't going to be a win probably never ever going to be a win it was cool to see him battle for the full for the full game especially the first half but there's really nothing that we're going to be taking away from any of this it's all about the process how the team reacts how the team develops how they take their lumps and learn and you know i was i was talking to uh ali trost at at, uh, kansas city radio today you know one of the things that i've liked the most about Drinkwitz teams is that they fight you go yeah. back to Odom teams, they got punched in the mouth and they sat in the corner and cried. If they if they weren't hanging tough, then they just gave up. And that's not what this team does. They were down 14 nothing early, really looking bad. And they battled back and tied it back up at 14. Now, they got their butts handed to them for the rest of the way, cool, whatever. But you didn't see that in the past four years, and you saw it today. That's what we're looking for. Those are the wins. Yeah, the scheme was sometimes working, mostly not. Yeah, there's some interesting plays. That's cool. That's all the building blocks for what Drinkwitz is trying to do this year. And once he unleashes it in 23 or whenever it is, it would be the games in 20 that he learned these things, that the team learned these things, learned how to battle, learned how to stick together, take their lumps against good teams and develop. And that's, that is what this season is for, and that's the good part of losing this game. It's culture, right? That, that, that's what he's developing right now is he's developing the culture yeah. and you can, that's the intangible, the tangible stuff is what's going to matter moving forward as well. That's the players. That's the scheme that we've already seen a pretty good amount of that's, that's that side of things. But the intangible stuff is what you can build quickest. That is the fight. That is the culture. And he's starting to develop that already. Um, as we kind of wrap things up here, Nate, Next week, they've got Mississippi State. I know we're going to talk about this a lot more on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. but that's one of those games that, unlike the Georgia game, it's not going to make or break the season. But that's a pretty big one as well, because right now, as we're recording this, Mississippi State's down 9-3 to against Auburn. Mississippi State's at home in that game. It's late in the third quarter. Mm Mm-hmm. That, that's the type of game that could potentially kind of flip in either direction. But if you're a Mizzou fan, finishing out the season, hopefully in the right direction, that's one that you'd like to see them get the win. Yeah, for sure. And Mississippi State likes to throw it. And Missouri's secondary is a little banged up and young right now. So who knows where where it's going to go. We'll dive into that more on, on uh, Tuesday. But, yeah, this is a nice one. It would be a road win. It's the last game of the year. It's against a, a team that's rebuilding just like you. It'd be a nice feather in the cap to to win a road game against a, a, a conference foe uh, right before your bowl game and just get another dub and feel good about yourself again. Um, who knows if it's going to happen, but that's that's another one that it's a coin flip, and if it's a close game, hopefully you win it. Um, but, yeah, losses don't matter. Wins do, and, and that would be a nice one to get. So um, I know that uh, currently – Missouri is playing Illinois basketball at 76-74 currently with three minutes to go, so I know that's a tight one. Um, so we'll get out of here and let uh, let BK and I get back to the game. <laughs> but uh, any parting shots before we get out of here for good? 
It's not all bad. It can be a little bit of good to go with the bad. Mizzou lost today. It showed us what the difference is between a team like Georgia that recruits at that level and a team like Missouri that for the last four years recruited at a 45th-ish level. Mm -hmm. uh, Drinkwitz is fixing that part of it. And it's not going to be – he's not going to be a top-five recruiter. That's never going to no, happen at Mizzou. No, no, no. Um, but if he recruits at the level that he has so far and he continues to sustain that moving forward – those are the types of things that can make this type of a series a little bit closer. We always remember back to 2013, 2014. What we don't think about is what made those teams what they were. Mm -hmm. And those recruiting classes leading into those years were pretty darn good. Gary Pinkle was recruiting off of those 07 and 08 seasons. He was getting pretty consistent top 30-ish classes. And when you recruit at that level and you have the player development that Gary Pinkle had – you can start doing some pretty significant things. And that's what we need to see moving forward from Drinkwitz. Recruit at that level, develop those players, hopefully close this gap between teams like Missouri and Georgia. Absolutely. So that's our show for today. So always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, MIZ. Bye.